From the streets of San Antonio, straight to your wallet, it's Jake's Two Cents on Jake of All Trades. Welcome to another episode of Jake of All Trades, the podcast show focused on helping you make smart choices with your money. On today's episode, I'm introducing a series of episodes focused on real estate investing. The current low interest rate environment we have, as well as hot housing market in many pockets of the country, has piqued interest from investors around purchasing properties for investment purposes. And I know that I've received a lot of questions about this from my clients as well. So I thought it would be important to do an entire series because there are so many different ways that you can expose yourself to real estate investing. So I am just as much uh, learning about all of this as the rest of you are. So part of me wanting to learn along with all of you is that I wanted to focus on three different types of investment in real estate, owner financing, house flipping, and rental properties. So they all have their unique characteristics of um, risks that associated with those types of real estate investing, but also there's great opportunities with those three. So during the interviews uh, that we're gonna that you'll um, that the future episodes will be airing uh, shortly, you're gonna notice that I tried to get the following information from my guests. First thing is, how do you get into this type of real estate investing? Is it easy to do? Does it require a full time gig? Um, the next thing was, what is the financial profile needed for someone to do this? So that's always a question I get from my clients. Am I in a financial position where I can take advantage of real estate investing or should I just wait? And then of course, what are the benefits to doing this and what are the risks? And you'll notice in all of my interviews with our guests, I really discussed, um, a lot of those two in great detail. Cause that's really what matters most to you guys that are listening. So before airing those interviews, I wanted to talk first about my sweet spot, which is building diversified portfolios. And throughout the interviews, you'll notice that I took the perspective of adding real estate as an asset class to your overall portfolio, not just exclusively real estate investing. So I want to put that caveat in there that the the guests I have on the show, this is what they do full time. This is their career that they've chosen. And so they have a somewhat of a different perspective on investing in real estate than what I'm trying to portray. So some of the things that they do talk about are not necessarily something I may agree with, but it's good to know and it's informational. And so I'll go into some of the details about what are some of the risks that you'll hear mentioned in some of the uh, interviews that I was like, but you know, that's their prerogative, but I'm just letting you know as a listener of my show, that's, I don't always recommend the certain things that they are suggesting that you do. But again, this is all educational. So we're trying to just learn about ways we can incorporate real estate into our overall portfolio. So I'm going to spend this particular episode as like a precursor to those next episodes, talking about the importance of diversification and what the risks are from my perspective when it comes to real estate investing. So it's very important that you understand the significance of broad diversification and the role that traditional investments play in your investment plan. And what I mean by traditional investments is generally referred to stocks and bonds, which are securities that essentially pay investors for taking risk. So in this case, stocks 
equity investors have the potential to earn money over time by shouldering that stock risk or the equity risk or the risk that a company's earnings will decline, right? So if you're, a, if you're investing in stock investments, you're buying a share of stock from a company and you're shouldering that risk of that company that they may not always do well every quarter and therefore that could be reflected in their share price. So, and then in the case for bonds, those are fixed income investments, right? Because they generate an income stream for you when you hold the bond. And you can potentially benefit financially from taking on the bond issuer's credit risk or the risk that the issuer, which is the bond issuer, will default on its payments. So that's always the risk that's, a, that's present when you're investing in uh, fixed income or bonds. And then with stocks, again, you're holding that security and you're shouldering the burden of the company uh, not meeting its quarterly estimated earnings, right? And so then share prices may fall. So bonds, on the other hand, you're exposed to credit risk. So I just wanted to make sure that we defined really when we're talking about traditional investments, the two types of risks that you're um, willingly accepting because there's also a whole nother set of risks when it comes to investing in real estate, which we will get to. So now that we've defined what traditional investments are, stocks and bonds, we obviously know from what I talk about and what I do for a living, I'm a firm believer that there is a need for traditional investments in your overall portfolio. Now, that's going to be different uh, somewhat from the guests that I interviewed because, again, I repeat, they do this full time. So their uh, perspective is that real estate is the best investment available. I'm, again, taking it from the perspective of I want to add real estate as a component of your overall portfolio, but I want to make sure that I hammer home that a well-diversified portfolio is always the way to go. And so what does that mean? Well-diversified means not having all your eggs in one basket, right? So we want to have exposure to as many different risks as possible in an effort to reduce the volatility during market disruptions. So for example, if you're invested in a portfolio, let's say that you're 100% invested in Apple stock, that would not be considered diversified, right? Because if something happens and Apple doesn't meet their earnings for a quarter, stock price is going to fall. And guess what? You are going to receive the full brunt of that decline in the share price. Whereas if you had a diversified portfolio, you've spread your risk out. So therefore, maybe your Apple stock falls a little bit, but that doesn't mean that all of your assets, all of your savings that you have poured into that investment also decline with it, right? So we're spreading the risk out. And that's really important when it comes to managing your overall portfolio. And you can do that a lot of different ways. So there's not just a one, one size fits all rule for building a diversified portfolio. But again, it's about exposure to as many different risks as possible because each asset class has a unique risk that's only associated with that particular asset class, right? Kind of like we talked about when you're buying stock, you're susceptible to the fall in the share price of the security. When you buy a bond, you're subject to credit risk or interest rate risk, risk that the issuing company that issued the bond may default on that loan. That's a separate risk from the stock risk. And then if we switch over to real estate, there's a an entirely separate section of risks that I want to talk about that deal with real estate investing as well. So let's talk a little bit about the types of risks 
when you're exposing yourself to real estate investing. So the first one I want to talk about is personal default risk. Now you'll hear a lot in the conversations I'm asking about leverage. I'm asking these real estate investors about, okay, how much cash do you need to have and how much of these properties that you're purchasing are you financing? So when you're financing anything, inherently there's a risk of default, right? You've received a loan and you need to be able to pay back that loan. Well, you'll notice in the different types of real estate investing that we're talking about, owner financing, house flipping, or rental properties, your return on investment for those three uh, real estate investment opportunities is different. One of them pays you rental income. One of them is just from your ability to turn a property over quickly and then resell it, right? And then, so by having those different types of risks with real estate investing, all of them still require a piece of property because that's the purpose, right? That's the purpose of investing in real estate. You got to have a piece of property. Acquiring that piece of property is going to either be done by paying out of your pocket for that piece of property, which most of us don't have enough cash on hand to be able to buy a piece of property outright. So you're probably going to have to use some financing of some kind. Now when that jumps into the personal default risk, the risk that one of your properties or the property you buy doesn't turn uh, a tenant in time. And so you're not generating any income and then you're not able to meet that mortgage payment uh, that's on the new property. Maybe you can't sell that property once you flip it. These are all risks that we should be aware of. And so that's personal default risk. That's going to be an added risk. If you are leveraging a property in order to uh, incorporate real estate as an investment in your portfolio. So the next one is exclusive really to rental properties, which that is tenant risk. You'll notice in a lot of the conversations I have with these guests, they talk a lot about the um, process they have for selecting a tenant, what they require as far as credit is concerned, what things, what variables they look at, and how much money they require the tenant to put up in order for them to reside on the property. So there's a lot of um, contingencies you can put into place in order to reduce the amount of tenant risk, but it's still always there, right? Because part of the responsibility of um, holding real estate is that you've got to generate some type of income off of it, or it's got to appreciate in value, but then you've got to sell it, right? So what we're talking about here when we're talking about tenant risk is the risk that you can't get a good tenant in the property and therefore you can't receive a steady stream of rental income. So there's another risk that we should be aware of, and that is high maintenance costs. Again, you'll hear from some of the interview, uh, the guests on the interviews that they do a lot of work before they put a tenant in the place in order to avoid these high maintenance costs. Now, I can tell you from experience, because I have owned two houses now, it doesn't really matter how much you think you've done a great job of um, replacing things in the house. Things are going to break and things are not going to go the way that you planned. All of that responsibility weighs on you because now you're the owner of this property. So you need to be aware that you're going to have unexpected costs pop up. Even if you've replaced every fixture and every appliance in that new house that you bought to be a rental property, you're still going to have stuff that goes wrong. And guess what? You've got a tenant in there. And so you've got to make sure that it's fixed and it's fixed correctly and it's fixed on time or you're going to get into some trouble, right? So that's something just to be aware of. It's just a risk that we can't necessarily 
eliminate entirely, but one of the ways we can reduce that risk is by making sure we do you do quality work with whatever property you acquire and making sure that you're monitoring all of the appliances in the property itself so that you avoid those high maintenance costs. So the the last risk I want to talk about is liquidity risk. And this one is really important. And this is one that I, I discuss quite a bit with all of the guests. And again, from my perspective, we're talking about building a diversified portfolio. And one of the important things that we need to be cautious about when we're, when we're investing is how much liquidity we have. Liquidity means access to money. So it's just how fast an asset can be turned into income or cash for you to use. So let's take our example of traditional investment, stocks and bonds. Stocks and bonds trade freely on market exchanges, right? You can always buy and sell shares as long as there's a demand for them, which usually there is. And therefore, that would be considered a liquid asset because let's say you have your investment account of $100,000 and it's all invested in some different stocks and bonds in the form of mutual funds. If you needed the money for whatever reason, you could go to the marketplace and sell those securities and then receive your cash and then go pay for whatever it is you needed to pay for. When we incorporate real estate investing and real estate investing as properties specifically, we've now tied up our liquidity into real property or assets that are not easily liquidated. Now, I recognize the current housing market is such that it's a seller's market because people are selling houses like crazy and they appear to be, the market appears to be moving with an average inventory of about a month, right? There's like a a house usually sits on the market for a month in San Antonio. So that's great uh, movement in the housing market. However, that may or may not be sustainable. There's really no way to know. Therefore, you do know the reality is when you buy that piece of property, your money's tied up in there until you can have a willing buyer to take it out from you. Or you have an opportunity to generate income from the property, which is the way that you can combat that liquidity risk. Because if you have a tenant in there who's paying you rent, well, then you have a stream of income that's coming through that asset. And therefore, it's got decent amount of liquidity. But your risk is not gone because that tenant could leave. We could have another housing crisis. There could be other issues with the particular area that you purchased the property, where now properties just aren't selling as quickly, and so you've got your money tied up in a real asset with no tenant, there's going to be a liquidity issue. So it's very important when you hear some of these uh, real estate investors talking about using retirement assets like 401k to, to, to use as a source of funds to invest in real estate, Be cautious because your 401k is liquid. That's money that could be sold and made available into cash so that you could use it for living expenses. Taking that 401k, cashing it out and using it to buy a piece of property, there may be a lot of growth potential there. However, recognize the amount of liquidity risk that you're giving, that you are taking on because you're turning a liquid asset into an illiquid asset. So with those risks in mind, When you're thinking about acquiring a property, your sources of funds need to be very carefully considered. And by that, I mean, don't just willy-nilly deplete your emergency savings. Remember that every asset you've accumulated has a role in your overall financial plan. 
The emergency savings is there to cover emergencies. If you liquidate your emergency savings to go buy a piece of property, well, now you've really increased your risk profile because now if you have, maybe you maintain two households because you have your rental property and the place you live. And if something goes wrong in one of those places, where are you going to turn to? Probably a credit card and which is going to just rack up your debt. So make sure that you have provisions for saving and accumulating money outside of your emergency savings in order to acquire some of these real estate properties if that's something you want to do. The next risk that we need to be aware of comes back to your decision to potentially use retirement assets to fund the purchase of this stuff. And that is the early distribution penalties. So the majority of my listeners are young. We um, have a long way, a long time to save. And if you're saving in any type of a retirement account, as a reminder, the IRS requires you to keep that money in those retirement accounts until age 59 and a half. If you invade those accounts before 59 and a half, and it's not for death or disability, or you're about to be evicted from your home, um, or unreimbursed medical expenses, if you're just taking money out to buy a piece of investment property, you're going to have to pay income taxes of some kind on that distribution. And if you're younger than 59 and a half years old, you're going to have to pay a 10% early distribution penalty. So you will hear in some of the interviews I have with the guests that one of them specifically says, look, it's a 10% penalty, but their projections for their return on that real estate investment far exceed that, which granted is a fair assessment. However, we're operating on projections and there are no guarantees. So remember that always. There are no guarantees with any of these types of investments, with traditional investments like stocks and bonds, as well as with these real estate investments. There are no guarantees. We can project out and make assumptions about potential return on investment, but the guarantee in this scenario is that you're going to pay 10% early distribution penalty to the IRS for whatever money you take out of a retirement account before 59 and a half. The last risk that I want to talk about is cash flow implications. What I mean by that is that's the money that you live on every month, the money that comes into your household and what's used to pay your expenses, right? That's your cash flow. Cash flow is crucial to being managed appropriately because that's how you live. And if you're thinking about incorporating real estate as an investment in your portfolio, it's going to require its own set of cash flow. You've got a new set of taxes, mortgage, and interest, and insurance that you have to pay to keep that property, uh, to keep the property, right? That is not something that you were used to paying. That's going to cut into your cash flow. Remember, if we go back to liquidity risk, if you don't have a solid tenant in that rental property that's generating income for you, the buck falls back on you to pay those extra expenses for that house, water bill, electricity, um, insurance, taxes, interest, mortgage interest, and the mortgage payment. All those expenses are going to fall back on you until you can get a tenant in there. So keep in mind, make sure that you have the freedom in your cash flow to be able to cover those expenses if there is a period of time where there is no tenant in place or you can't turn the property for a profit at that period of time. So that really wraps up my kind of precursor to the investment uh, real estate investment series. I'm excited to to launch these episodes because 
I learned so much during this series about the different ways to invest in real estate, and it really opened my eyes to see, look, there are a lot of good opportunities out there, but it's also very important that you take a step back and recognize the current environment we're in. Remember, we're in a low interest rate environment. The Federal Reserve is raising interest rates a quarter of a percent every quarter, but that's a very slow increase in interest rates. So it's going to be a while before mortgage rates tick up to a level that's really unaffordable. So don't use the current, I say all of that to say, like, don't use the current market environment as justification for investing in real estate. If you're not ready or you're not familiar, remember all of the risks that I talked about, the default risk, the tenant risk, high maintenance costs, and liquidity risk, taking all those into consideration, plus looking at your overall financial profile to make sure, do I even have resources available to acquire these properties, or am I going to be over leveraging myself and getting into a dangerous spot? So stay tuned. We're going to be releasing the next few uh, real estate episodes coming up very soon. And uh, tell me what you think. Reach out to me on Facebook at Jake's Two Cents. You can also check out my blog at jakestwocents.com. And remember, you are the expert of your own life. And that's my two cents. Securities and advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network. Member FINRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Fixed insurance products and services offered through CES Insurance Agency. Actual performance and results will vary. These interviews do not constitute a recommendation as to the suitability of any investment for any person or persons having circumstances similar to those portrayed. Consult a financial advisor regarding your specific circumstances.